what's the opposite of a foot fetish? That's what you have. It's like that, uh, yeah, I'm the opposite. <laughs> a foot phobia, maybe? A foot phobia. There we go. That's what it is. Yes, you have a foot phobia. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the first person to ever wear socks with sandals, and damn it, he's proud of it, my brother Mike. That's right. Those things are cyclical, too, and so it's coming back. It is going yeah. to be back. The kids are already doing it, so adults will be soon as well. I'm just one of those people who's naturally averse to feet. They either want the things that get neglected in the shower the most, you know, so I don't like exposed feet. Weirds me out. What's the opposite of a foot fetish? That's what you have. It's like, that, uh, yeah, I'm the opposite. <laughs> a foot phobia, maybe? A foot phobia. There we go. That's what it is. Yes. You have a foot phobia and it it, it comes out in, in, in odd moments too. Like he'll, he'll scream if they're anywhere near him, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, just, uh, if you ever, if you ever see Mike in public, you want to annoy him, take your shoes and socks off and just start running at him. Okay. Uh, anyway, on this week's episode, we'll discuss an up and down week from the boys in blue, look closely at the performance of the pitching staff so far, and preview this week's games. But first, we have a new sponsor, everybody. Yay! Yay! Royals Weekly is now brought to you by Nap Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Hmm. Funyuns covered in cheese? No. Uh, a good bail bondsman, maybe? <laughs> Maybe for you, but also no. Uh, securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Nat Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big, faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nat Family Wealth is run by J.C. Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you can get all that money out from your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nap Family Wealth at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member F-I-N-R-A slash S-I-P-C. Thank you so much to Nat Family Wealth for sponsoring the show. We really appreciate it. We're going to have them on for an entire year. We'll start our review of last week with roster news, which is not going to take long because there is not very much of it. It's still early in the year. They're not moving guys up and down a whole bunch or anything like that. The only bit of roster news that we have for this week is, or last week, I should say, Kyle Isbell did go on the paternity list. Congratulations to him and his wife on a new child. Uh, way to go. Good job. Uh, Kyle and mostly his wife. <laughs> yeah, she did all the work. She did all the work, uh, as, <laughs> as is as is tradition. Um, uh, uh, so Kyle, he went on the paternity list for like only for like two days. He was gone very briefly. Apparently, he's afraid Dayton Moore is going to sneak back into Kaufman and send him back to AAA or put him back <laughs> on the bench or something. I don't know. Um, so he he spent two days away. Uh, Nick Prado was called up for those two games. Got a chance to hit in a few in a couple of them. Actually played in all the games he was up for, and so we got a little bit of taste of him. Uh, but not much else going on roster-wise. Nick Prado is now back in AAA, hitting for the Omaha Storm Chasers. The record for this week on the field was 3-4 and four from the Royals, so better than their opening week where they were 0-3. They went 3-4, and four, had a chance to pull out a sweep of the Giants today and just blew it towards the end of the game. Mike, this week started out pretty rough with the Royals dropping 3-4 of four to the Blue Jays, mostly on the backs of sputtering offense, Chris Bubich. And uh, Granke had some solid performances in there. 
but the fellas had a better chance of hitting the Powerball than hitting a baseball to start this week. I mean, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough. At it the play. was. It created a malaise. It created like a, not a malaise, but like a depression among I, fans. I thought, I thought malaise was actually a good way of putting it. That's well, it, it, it just created like a real sense of sadness among fans. Uh, they needed to get out of Kansas city. Apparently that was the secret sauce is get out of town, go find a, go find it on the West coast. They, they ended up taking the series against the giants winning two of three there. Mike, do you think that this is a turnaround what we're seeing from the Royals or what, what do we see, think about them grabbing a series win and looking better in the second half of this week. I'm not calling it a turnaround. I'm calling it a settle down. I feel like they, they calmed down a little bit. They started hitting in important situations the, the big indicator of that is the comeback win that they had yesterday. You know, the, I feel like the team that played against Toronto or the one that opened up the season against the twins, I don't feel like they could have made that push at the end of the game. And so I feel like they're settling down a little bit calming down the younger hitters are doing okay, which we thought they might do once they got on the road. And that's turning into some offensive production. I still don't think it is where it will be, but if the pitchers keep pitching the way that they have and they can start picking up the offense a little bit, they look like a pretty promising team moving forward. The big thing is if, if the pitchers can keep doing this, which I still need to see a little bit more of it before I'm completely sold. Right. I'm, I'm the same as you. I, they're not, they, uh, turn it around is maybe the wrong sort of phrasing there. They aren't hot or anything, but they, they want a series, which is huge. Get that first series win under your belt, go out and gain some confidence on the West coast. And now they're moving on to Texas, a team that while they loaded up with a lot of free agent talent, isn't necessarily, you know, they're not the Dodgers. They're not the Tampa Bay Rays who are nine and zero right now. They're, you know, they're, you can get some wins there. They're fi- roughly 500 right now, I think. And so, option or opportunity to win a few games in uh in Texas despite the fact that they will fake some some tough pitching. What I find interesting is that some guys are getting it going offensively at least a little bit and that's what I'm sort of hanging my hat on trying to hold some hope out for the offense because eventually they were turning around. The question is will the pitching continue to go while they do it? Uh looking at the week is there anything that stands out to you as worthy of note from this last week? I feel like I I owe Chris Bubich an apology now <laughs> because I have not been the biggest uh, Bubich believer, if you if you want to say it that way. Uh, even when like he first started coming up and they were like, oh, led the minor leagues in strikeouts and and was a, a huge star at, at Stanford and all this stuff. I was when I saw him throw, I was like, nah, he doesn't really do much for me. Yes, I like the changeup, of course. And the weird thing is all the stuff that we were saying. Yes, we were a proponent of him adding another pitch. Yes, we were hoping they would let him throw the slider last year. But we always said the thing that would make Chris Bubich better would be command. He still doesn't have that. He still doesn't have great command. It it may be slightly better, but it's not good. Um, What has turned that around? His fastball is better. The slider is helping him. All those things make the changeup better. It's like, I never saw that as the fix. And so Chris Bubich, I'm sorry for not believing in you more. And I'm excited to see if you can keep this going. Bubich is has been just a revelation up to this point. It's two starts, so we need to like make sure that we're we're tempering our uh, our excitement a little bit. But you're right; the stuff is completely different than it used to be. The fastball is harder; it has more uh, ride to it, it or more run to it. No, sorry, it has more. What do you call it? Carry. Thank carry. you, carry. My brain carry. is not working right now. <laughs> I did not get much sleep last night. I went to a place in North Town that was fun, uh, and so I didn't sleep much. Uh, and so, but. 
his fastball is better. The slider is helping him. His changeup, I think, is a little bit better too, honestly. And so, and the command is a little bit better. It's not, you know, he's not Greg Maddox out there, but he's, you know, spotting it where he needs to. And they, the better stuff is really helping him. Just gives him way more options against hitters. I think the thing that stands out to me from this last week is that some of the offense is getting going and some are still stuck, right? So you look at Bobby Witt Jr., for example, you're talking about a guy who, Still doesn't look right at the plate. You're talking to a guy who's swinging at too many fastballs up. That's what the league wants to do to him right now, throw him fastballs up, and then lefties are throwing him breaking balls down in at his feet, and righties are throwing him sliders away as usual. And so he's not there yet. Michael Massey's not there yet. It's like half the lineup is getting going, and half the lineup still isn't there yet. So we'll see if, if, a, if another series or two gets them to where they need to be offensively. Um, but it is nice to see that some of them, at least some of the guys they were counting on Salvi Pasquantino are starting to get it going, starting to look a little better at the plate. I would argue that Melendez is even looking a little bit better at the plate. The results aren't there quite yet because he's flying out. His launch angle is a little too steep right now, but he'll get there. I think he's not, he's not looking bad at the plate right now. Mike, you have a sense of a uh, strong performance of the week. You mentioned Chris Bubich and I know you want to talk about him. So tell us how strong he was this week. Yeah, uh, I, I was just shocked today by what was happening. Like the strikeout numbers were unreal today, and he's not been a guy. He's been he's been a guy that struggled to really put guys away because they all know he's trying to throw his changeup to strike him out. So having those other options has really helped. He had eleven innings pitched this week, so he was the guy that got two starts, thirteen Ks, only one walk. Very good for him. He did hit a batter as well today, and and two earned runs. So today's performance was. That that was peak Chris Bubich. That's outside of maybe the one that he had. I think I can't remember who it was against. They mentioned it today on the broadcast where he almost threw a no hitter, uh, or where he had a no hitter going for quite a stretch. Outside that, I think this is probably the best performance we've seen from Chris Bubich, and it's encouraging, and that makes me happy because if if you lock him down, and the weird thing was, you and I said that we felt like Chris Bubich earned this spot in spring training, and that he looked better than Daniel Lynch. And a lot of people were like, nope, Lynch gets it. He's the better one. He's better. And we're like, I don't really see that. Um, and now, you know, obviously Lynch goes down with the injury, but is anybody saying, well, Daniel Lynch should come back and take that spot now? Eh, I don't no. think so. No. Do you know how much shit I got from people on the internet about that proclamation, <laughs> about, about the proclamation that Chris Bubich was the guy who deserved that starting spot and not Daniel Lynch? I got so much crap from people. Uh, just coming at me. Oh, Lynch is the better. You don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. It's like people trust me on this. Okay. I'm, I am uh, petty enough to say, I told you so Mike, thank you for doing it for me so that I don't have to, I don't have to look that kind of level of petty there, but you know, to all those people who were like, no, Daniel Lynch, Daniel Lynch, Daniel Lynch. Listen, I hope Lynch is great this year. I hope he comes back strong off the injury. You know, they're going to need that level of depth, but Bubich looks like an entirely new pitcher at this point, And it's looking really, really good. Honestly, to me, he looks very much like the type of pitcher that Cleveland often produces. And so I'm excited to keep seeing more from, uh, from Chris Bubich. He was great this week. Uh, my, my strong performer for the week is one Vincent Pasquantino, also known as the Pasquatch. First off, I love all the promotional stuff they're doing around that nickname. I find it very hokey and fun. Uh, the, the Sasquatch walking across the Royals hall of fame. That's great. The, the little commercial they made Hunter Dozier's not going to win an Oscar anytime soon, but you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun, I think, you know, and so that's great. That's okay. He's not going to win a batting title anytime soon either. <laughs> uh, but he, I'll tell you who might, Vinny Pasquantino, because he went off this week and he looks like he's now in the groove 
for his, uh, it took him a little bit there. He said in the past that he's a slow starter sometimes, but he went seven for 21 this week, three doubles, which is great. One home run, three walks and four strikeouts. He was really, if they had somebody carrying the lineup, it was him and it was Salvador Perez uh, throughout this last week. And good job on by, by Vinny to sort of hit the ball into the gaps, hit the ball hard. He's he's now into that approach that looks like it's going to have just as many walks as strikeouts, seeing the ball really, really well. If he can continue that and a few of these other guys can get hot, this lineup can start really, really producing and he'll be at the very center of it. You know what's weird to me? Vinny Pasquantino, it's not like he doesn't strike out a lot because he doesn't swing a lot. It's him, like, him and uh, Nick Prado are very different hitters who will both walk a lot. Prado do- walks a lot because he doesn't swing a lot. Pasquantino swings plenty. Like he he swings at stuff. It's just very difficult to strike him out because when he gets two strikes, he fouls off a lot of pitches. Yes. And so and like he ha- he'll swing early in counts. Yeah. He has that level of plate coverage where like, okay, I have two strikes. Anything that is even remotely in the zone or in the shadow, I'm just going to foul off or put in play. And that's what creates so few strikeouts for him. He has a good enough hit tool that he can reach that entire strike zone, that entire shadow of the strike zone, and either foul it off or put it in play. And when he puts the ball in play, he has the muscle to make it go hard. And so he's two strike. Two strikes to him just doesn't mean that much. And so he'll work a lot of walks back from two strikes because you know he's one two fouls off a couple balls, gets a ball here, gets a ball there, and boom, he's three two all of a sudden, and it's you know, base hit ball four for him. And so, yeah, he's just that, that plate coverage is a big part of why he can swing as much as he does. And he's just got a really good hit tool. You know, he's got a much better hit tool than Nick Prado does. And so, you know, that's what's contributing so much to that offensive success. Not everybody was Vinny Pasquantino hot this week. Uh, some people just could not get things going. Mike, Tell us about somebody who did not uh, did not get things going. He's a, a little bit of a, I don't want him to turn into like a punching bag. I have nothing against him personally. He's a better than 99.999% of baseball players on earth, but he did not have a great week this week. Yeah, and I hate to beat a dead horse because we, we like to mix it up when a guy's kind of in a funk, but I went to look at some of the other people who struggled offensively, and there were plenty of them, but all of those people were giving – things on defense. You know, I wanted to go to Kyle Isbell because he struggled a little bit offensively this week, but he had a great week defensively. And so what do you do there? I guess I could have gone with Fran Mel Reyes, but he didn't get a lot of at-bats this week. I went with Hunter Dozier again. Uh, Three for 18, no extra base hits, six strikeouts to one walk. And my other note there is no defensive value, you know? So yeah, that's, you know, Hunter Dozier continues to, uh, to struggle at the plate. And it makes you wonder how long they're going to let him keep getting consistent playing time. He did sit a couple times this week. So maybe that continues as we go because Edward Olivares isn't, isn't playing much. You can somehow figure out how to get Olivares in there and Dozier out. Cause you know, at least you're getting competent at bats from Edward Olivares. Yeah. And here's the thing, like they played Dozier against Sean Manaya, and he got at least one of those hits against him. If you're going to start Hunter Dozier, it has to be against a lefty. Right. You cannot be starting him consistently or really at all, in my mind, against right-handed pitchers because he cannot handle right-handed breaking balls. They're too difficult for him. He is swing and miss all day on a right-handed breaking ball. And so, you know, if you want to up his value as much as possible, you want to get as much out of him as you can, then he needs to be somebody who, when he plays, plays against left-handed pitching and left-handed pitching only. 
let's hope that that's the case moving forward. Uh, a left-handed hitter who struggled this week and is another guy we, we've talked about him on this on this podcast. The Royals faithful are really in love with him as a prospect. I've encouraged people to pump the brakes a little bit and have been chastised for it, but he did not have a great week this week, and that's Michael Massey. He went three for 17 with no extra base hits, no walks, and six strikeouts. Massey, we've talked about it previously. It's all about approach for Michael Massey. He has a good hit tool. He is, you know, has enough power to be successful. His issue has just, he swings at too many pitches he should not swing at. He swings, if if Nick Prado doesn't swing enough, Mike Massey swings enough for both of them, right? Like he needs to <laughs> swing way less and, you know, really prioritize his best hitting zones because he does have decent play coverage, but he'll swing at stuff well outside the strike zone. He, he swung at a pitch today, oh, oh, that was a good six inches below the strike zone. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, it, it, you know, it's that sort of thing that will keep him from reaching his potential because he does have good potential. His defense has looked a lot better so far this year, which I like to see. And he's contributed in that way. But offensively, if he's going to make it happen, what's the difference between you and Nicky Lopez if you don't take advantage of the m- much better set of hitting tools that you have, Michael Massey? And so you have more power than Nicky Lopez. You have a really good hit tool. You should be doing a lot better at the plate if you had a better approach. With that in mind, Mike, what are you thinking about as a theme for this last week? Uh, My theme is sneak peek, because I think in that Giants series, you got a sneak peek of what this team can be. That is a team that can can play competent baseball, can play competitive baseball with really anybody in the league. Now, that does not mean that they're going to have a winning record or push for the playoffs, but when this young talent starts picking up, you're going to see a team that's exciting to watch. And if the pitching improvement is real, you're going to see a team that does possibly flirt with 500. Sorry. Assuming some of those young hitters can do the things we think they can do. Yeah. My, my theme is actually kind of tied to that. And that is this week showed me a better route to winning baseball for the Royals than we've seen in the past, right? In the past, it was very like, boom or bust. It was very like, Oh, we look great today. We scored 12 runs and you know, we pitched all right and all this. And then like the next day they're getting blown out next three games. They're going on like some seven game losing streak. They're getting blown out in half of them and all this sort of stuff. The Royals are playing a, a brand of baseball right now. That is just a better route to winning. It is better at suppressing runs from the other team, keeps games closer constantly. And as a result, they'll be able to pull more games out. Look at the game that they won that game two against the giants, able to pull that game out because it didn't get out of hand, able to, you know, stayed in the game today. How many games have they lost by more than three runs? Not that many, right? Maybe one or two. Uh, and so this is a, this is a better route to winning baseball that they're showing. Yes. They need to hit better. But if they can keep, if the pitch, pitching can keep going, if they can keep playing decent defense, then they're going to have a much better chance at keeping games close and winning better and, and just winning more games. Um, one thing that they're doing as well is they're optimizing their lineups for the starting pitcher that day, which was something we never saw under Matheny or really Ned Yost. They were old school, kind of, I want a righty, a lefty, a righty, a lefty kind of a thing. That's not what's happening here. They're going, hey, this guy's tough against righties. We're playing all lefties today. You know, now I may not agree with all the left-handed bats they're putting in there all the time, but it it's at least saying we're going to compete for offense from the very first pitch of the game. And I like that. 
And there are some people who are not happy with that uh, in the Royals social media sphere. They're, they're like, oh, these lineups are no good. You keep changing so much stuff. It's like, hey, that, that's what they told us they would do. They told us more rotation. They told us lineups based on analytics. They told us all these things were going to happen. This is what you get when you hire a raise manager. You're going to have lineups that look like this. A lot of rotation, a lot of changing things up, maxim or trying to play matchups heavily. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. And, you know, it's not working right now, but there are going to be stretches of this year where it works really, really, really well. And so, you know, hopefully those come sooner rather than later. Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one -on -one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. Why? Because they took excellent care of our mother after her surgery. She went to All In Physical Therapy after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She was worried because she loves to work out and be active. Yeah, she's thinking of becoming a professional deadlifter. Just yeah. told me that the other day. So, yeah. She definitely has the quads for it. Um, the excellent <laughs> specialized care she got at All In Physical Therapy had her back to working out every morning in no time. Yeah, and you can't deadlift anything. So let's be honest there. Mark couldn't deadlift the, the laptop that he's using to record this. No lie. De no dead. No, can't live lift it. Honestly, don't even. <laughs> uh, if you're an athlete who sustained a sports injury, the team at All in Physical Therapy will get you right. All in Physical Therapy is owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a dude. Mike and I know. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit. But even if you're outside that area, it's worth a trip to get to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. For this week's Spotlight segment, we have to dig into the pitching. It was our primary concern coming into the year. It was a lot of people's primary concern coming into the year, to be honest with you. Anybody who had eyes and understood what Royals meant had a concern about the pitching. So far, they've been a bright spot for the Royals. As a staff, that's that's both uh, starters and relievers, they're seventh in Team ERA at 3.74, 14th in WHIP, which is walks plus hits per innings pitched, at 1.35, and they're eighth in that all-important stat that Mike and I have discussed previously, their K-to-walk ratio. That's their strikeout-to-walk ratio. They're eighth in that at 3.30. And Mike, you might remember, we had an over-under bet at three on that K-to-walk mm -hmm. ratio. I took the over, you took the under. Just keep your eyes on that. Mike, <laughs> what do you think of how the pitching staff has looked so far? Uh, I, I'm shocked, honestly. Like That is the thing that has shocked me and surprised me most about the team this year. I didn't think we would see the effects of the new pitching staff as quickly as we have. And I know you and I've talked about, well, you know, these things can happen rather quickly when new regimes come in on the pitching side, but I'm a Royals fan. I just, I, I never thought it would happen to us. And so the, the, the early returns have been extremely encouraging. And just to know, like, this is the, to come in and have them like work on actual stuff. Like, Hey, we're going to work on, your curveball or getting you a curveball, Brad Keller. We're going to have you throw that slider, Chris Bubich. We're going to make your fastball better, Chris Bubich. We're going to all these things. We're going to optimize your picks, pitch mix and, and and talk about, you know, all these different things help. I mean, I know a lot of these guys did this stuff on their, their own, but, but great. They're letting him do that stuff. Granky goes to driveline, brings that stuff back. Okay. Do whatever you're, you came up with. Same thing with Bubich and Lynch. It's like, 
it, it's unbelievable. And finding better roles for people, telling Carlos Hernandez, who unfortunately uh, had to be pulled from the game today, but telling him you're going to be a reliever and we think you can be good at that if you, you know, fix, tweak your fastball slightly. You know, the, the stuff this staff has done, we've mentioned this before, has been incredible and just makes me so angry that Cal Eldred was here for so long. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> I know. It's going to be one of those things that it's going to take a little time. Like I have wounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to need a little time. Okay. Uh, I'm not as shocked as some by the turnaround because you and I mentioned this. I mean, go back to the episodes where we talked about the change in pitching coach. We said sometimes it happens quickly and we should have an expectation that they're going to hire people who can turn this rotation and this bullpen around fairly quickly. Now, this is pretty quick and pretty drastic, which is great. It's great to have that feeling as a Royals fan to be like, oh, that thing that was so bad for the last five years has now just flipped on a dime and it's an asset for the Royals. Will it stay that way? Maybe not. Maybe it'll come back to earth a little bit, but no matter what, I think there's no way we get to the end of the season and this pitching staff isn't significantly better than it was last year. And that's so, so huge. I'm a little surprised by how it's being done. We talked about command and and throwing strikes and the importance of getting that walk rate down. But what's interesting about the effectiveness of the pitching staff so far is a lot of it is tied to improved stuff. As you mentioned, a lot of it is tied to new pitches, better pitches, and more strikeouts. It's not just that their walk rate is going down. Their strikeout rate is going up. And that's that's a huge – to have them both happening simultaneously is what is making such a huge jump. Yes, they could have just been like, hey, let's throw more strikes. But if your stuff isn't better than theirs was, and they didn't have good stuff last year, if, if it, it might just get hit a lot. And so you, know, you throw the ball in the strike zone a lot, but it's not great stuff. You're going to get hit around. So it's so, it's so amazing what Brian Sweeney and Zach Bove, and we should give that whole staff credit, Paul Gibson, you know, Mitch Stetter, all of those guys have just done an amazing job helping to get this staff ready to start the 2023 season. And they've really carried them. I know they only have, what, three, four, three wins? Three wins? Is that it? Four. Yeah, I think four, four, four wins. wins. Oh, no, two from the Giants series, one from the Blue Jays. It's just three. Oh, my bad. Three. Three wins. They only have three wins. But... They only have those three wins because of this pitching staff, honestly. And the other games have stayed close because of this pitching staff. Mike, what do you attribute this really strong start to? Simple. A coaching staff that knows what they're doing. That is simple. You know, it it and that's that's really it. I mean, you just said it. The the start, the pitching staff has been what has carried us. They've kept us in games, and then somewhat the offense has scratched together enough runs in those wins to win them. I think the, the I think the hitting will come around eventually, but this is all on the improvements of that pitching staff. Zach Greinke is better than he was last year in his age, what, 106 season? I don't know, the guy's older than crap, but he's better than he was last year. Chris Bubich looks like he's taken a huge step forward. You know, uh, you know what's his name? Uh, Lyle. Lyles. Uh, Lyles, thank you. I, I'm, I don't expect much from him, but if he's average, average was killer in this in this rotation last year. Like if you were at, if you could have been average major league average, you'd have been our second best starter or third best starter. I mean, that's insane. And so, yeah, I, I just as a whole now, I, I don't know about the depth still. We haven't had to deal with any starting rotation injury issues. I think the bullpen has good depth, but if we can keep that starting rotation healthy, man, it's, it could be exciting, at least competitive, exciting. Well, and what's interesting is that if we think about how this, 
especially rotation, has gotten better. And I, to some degree, the bullpen as well. It is the back half of the rotation that has really taken a big step forward, right? The back half of the rotation, back three-fifths of the rotation last year, was awful. Really, really, really bad. We're talking like, e- like historically bad. ERA over five <laughs> for the entire back three-fifths of that rotation. Very bad. The difference now is the back fifth of the rotation is Chris Bubich, Brad Keller, and I, if we rank them, it's probably Jordan Lyles. Technically, right now, it's Brad Keller. It's a uh, what uh, Brady Singer. Brady Singer and a couple others. But really, if we look at it like, oh, it's Jordan Lyles, it's Chris Bubich, and it's um, uh, Brad Keller. Those three have pitched, especially Bubich and Keller, very well, and that's keep that's what's really making the difference. It's the back half. It's the back half of the bullpen which now looks a little bit better than the back half of the bullpen from last year. It's those sorts of things that are really making this a taking this from one of the worst rotations and worst pitching staffs in the league right now to probably one of the top 10 just through the first week and a half. So, but still great to see. Um, Has any one pitcher stood out to you, Mike, as like particularly impressive or interesting worth talking about? I have actually two here. One is Brad Keller. Because, again, he's a guy that I didn't have a whole lot of faith in. The other is Araldis Chapman. I'll talk about Chapman here in a second. But Keller has a 2.61 ERA in just over 10 innings pitched with nine strikeouts. He has too many walks still at seven walks. But some of that is a little bit deceiving as in one game he walked the bases loaded and was immediately taken out. So a little bit uh, hinky there. He may have just been gassed at that point. Yeah, at that point he was just tired. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But so I, I dove into his pitch data a little bit. And if you go look at it, his pitch data doesn't look great still. When you look at the numbers on his stuff, you're like, okay, it's still only average. But the point is, compare it to Brad Keller from last year and the year before that. And he has brought every pitch he has pretty much up to average. And that's a big deal. Like, if you can have that many pitches now that he has, he's really throwing four to five pitches now quite a bit if you if you count his slider as two different things which they do on baseball savant but like that's a pretty big deal if he can stay in that groove he can limit those walks he's going to be extremely valuable because he's shown that he can be pretty durable and so whether whether that's hey just building it up because you're trading him later this year or something else that's probably what it is just being honest with you um but it's been really surprising and really good to see and i hope he can continue to do that and it's and uh, and you didn't bring this up. I don't know why you skipped over it, but part of that is usage. He's not using his fastball nearly as much. He's throwing his fastball like 25% of the time. He's throwing his new curveball that much as well. And then, of course, his best pitch is slider. He's still throwing about 25% of the time as well. So it's it's been a, a real revelation, and I'm happy to see that he has discovered what's going to make him a successful pitcher in Major League Baseball. Because if he's just got average pitches and he's got four of them, He'll play in Major League Baseball for a very long time. Okay. The other guys are Aroldis Chapman, who looks like Aroldis Chapman of 10 years ago. That's all I have to say about that. Four innings pitched, eight strikeouts to one walk. He looks unbelievable. It looks like a great signing. Again, likely a guy that if he pitches this well is going to get traded, but that's value for those guys. I mean, if you could trade those two together, you're getting something back. You're getting something real back in those trades. So uh, those are the two guys that have impressed me the most. And obviously, we'll talk about uh, the other guy here with Chris Bubich. Yeah, Bubich is the guy who's impressed me. 
Two, you mentioned the stats earlier. Two games started, 11 innings pitch, two earned runs, one walk, 13 strikeouts. Look at his pitch metrics, his movement metrics and things like that. Right now, his slider has elite horizontal movement, meaning it is among the best horizontal movement for a slider in the game. That is how good that slider is right now. Slider, curveball, sometimes the Savant has a difficult time telling the difference between the two. But right now, the fact that he has a fourth pitch is just as valuable as any of the other stuff. Just as valuable as how good those pitches are is the fact that he has a fourth one that he's using. It's making all of his other stuff better. His fastball is obviously better and is looking better. And that's huge for him, too. The fact that he's throwing it pretty hard at times. You know, you're seeing 94 mile an hour fastballs at the top of the zone from him that guys cannot touch. Today, he he had it at bat. I can't remember who it was against. But he kept throwing this guy fastballs at the top of the zone or just above the zone, 93 to 94. And this guy was swinging right through him, had absolutely no chance of touching them. Was it, it was a righty? incredible to see. It was a righty, yeah. I can't, I can't remember who it was either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I can see the at-bat in my mind. Uh, it, was, it was fun to watch because you're just like, man. And Chris Bubich was having fun with it. You could tell from his body language. He's like, this guy's not hitting this. And he winged it right by him. It was great to see. It's great to see him having fun out there on the mound because he is being successful. He's the guy who's really stood out to me as impressive. And he's the guy who I think can sustain this, maybe not this level of success. Obviously, he's got like an ER end or two. That's not going to last. But I think he can sustain, have sustained success over the course of the season because of some elements of his pitch mix, of his demeanor, of his attitude towards pitching. I think it's going to help. I think the the thing that you hit on that you just kind of glossed over that is huge. This is going to make his changeup so much more effective. It was already a really good pitch in that the movement was good. He actually might locate it better than any other pitch he has. And he and now he has these other pitches that hitters now have to think about, especially when it used to be he only had one put away pitch and it was a changeup and that was it. He did not strike out guys with his curveball. He went to the changeup just constantly. And so I, that's what really excites me about this. It makes that change up now a weapon again, instead of just something that guys sit on. And if he makes a mistake on, they take out of the yard. So, so important for him, because like I said, and, and this is just a basic principle that I think is going to become like one of the next key points of pitching sort of development. And I just saw Kyle Bodie actually release a, a Twitter thread about this the other day to young pitchers. More pitches are better than less pitches. It's just, it's like an unequivocal fact. More pitches are better than less pitches. They've known it in Japan forever. So they, th- they throw, they throw a bunch of pitches over exactly. there. Exactly. Basically America is just like 10 years behind Japan when it comes to like understanding what pitching is. Uh, but anyway, uh, I digress. Mike, is there anything about what the staff is doing or the staff moving forward that concerns you as we sort of think about, can't just, can't all be sunshine and rainbows. What, what might concern us as we're, we're thinking about the staff in the future? Yeah, the things that concern me now are the exact same things that concern me when the season started because we just haven't seen enough of the pitchers yet to know like, okay, this is for sure for real. But, you know, and and with Bubich, you know, the concern is still command. There's still some concern there. Brad Keller is still walking too many guys. Jordan Lyles, who's a guy who does not walk guys historically, is walking more than he usually does. So that's a little bit concerning. You know, Singer got touched up a little bit in his last uh, outing, but I – I don't think that's much. I thought he still looked pretty good for most of it. Uh, he threw a few more changeups in that in that outing than we've seen from him in the past, but I think he's fine. You know, the only thing I said that still really concerns me is our depth of starting pitching is bad. It's bad, bad. 
Um, and so I don't really know where we go if, if any of these guys get hurt, which will happen. Inevitably, one of these guys is going to go down. Uh, so where do we go there is still a big question mark for me or the answer isn't a good one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that, that was my big my big concern is depth, depth, depth. Like right now in AAA, they're not running out a great rotation. Heasley had a decent start the other day. Uh, Drew Parrish has looked pretty good so far uh, in AAA. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see if somebody does go down, it's going to be uh, an issue. And depth is so important when it comes to starting pitching, especially the way the Royals want to do it. It's also important in the bullpen. And you're, I think, less concerned about the depth in the bullpen than I am. I have a little bit of concern about where they would go, especially since they traded Richard Lovelady. Like, I don't know who's ready in that AAA bullpen exactly. Like, Evan Sisk has looked okay. Josh Taylor, I don't think, has looked very good. Stalmont's down there. We'd have to ask some questions. Stalmont's down there, but he's not a lefty. So what if Garrett goes down or... You know, who's pitched? Uh, what's that guy? He pitched today and actually Yarbrough. didn't do that well. Yarbrough. Yarbrough has uh, pitched a lot of innings for them. He's a valuable lefty for them. What happens if he goes down? You know, like there's just, there's some questions about, I think, the depth in the bullpen, especially with the trading of Richard Lovelady. Um, but we'll see. I mean. And who, know, who knows with Hernandez today? You know, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't think he was hurt. I think, I don't think he was hurt. I think he had, he came out because the Giants were putting in a lefty to face him and they brought in Yarbrough to face the lefty. I think if I read that you right, think he was just fine. I think he was fine. I just, uh, but who knows, you know, maybe they're just being cautious. I need to read some of the post post game stuff. He looked um, kind of, he looked kind of pissed when they first took the ball from him. Well, I don't, um, I don't know exactly. So. I think, I, I think he was pissed because of all confusion and he didn't want to come out, but maybe, maybe he is hurt to some degree, but I don't think it's that much. And so we'll see on that. But yeah, there are depth issues with this pitching staff. There's no doubt about that. The Royals finished their road trip with three games in Arlington against the Texas Rangers before the an off day on Thursday and a weekend series at home against the Braves. I'm thinking about going to one of those Braves games uh, or some of those home, one of those ones in the homestand. They're doing a bark at the park at that homestand. I go check out some dogs. Ooh. That'd be fun. Uh, Mike, tell us about the Rangers, a team led by former Royal and current puffy vest spokesmodel Chris Young. <laughs> you imagine how big that puffy vest has to be? That guy's a giant. But doesn't he look like um, the type of dude who probably has a ton of them? Like just owns oh, I'm sure. a closet Certainly. full of puffy vests. Certainly. He yeah. seems like the type of dude. Um, I saw him do an interview. Oh, when they did that exhibition game on there, I was watching the Rangers broadcast. He seemed like a smart, nice guy. Um, but the Rangers are five and four. A uh, lot of big offseason acquisitions, especially on the, on the pitching side. Uh, in the first game, we'll get Granky versus Andrew Haney a 31-year-old left-handed pitcher out of Oklahoma State with a, and this is not not a, not a misprint, right, Mark? Not a misprint. Okay. Uh, he's got a 23.63 ERA this year because Mark refuses to put last year's stats on there. A 23.63 ERA and a 3.38 whip. Let you know he's been hit a lot this year. <laughs> Oof, he got roughed up. <laughs> yeah, I think he went like two innings and gave up seven earned runs in his first, uh, in his first start, so... He's got a fastball in the lower 90s, a slider and a changeup. He incorporated that slider slider in uh, 2021, and that kind of led to a breakout last year. Uh, but he's been about a league average starter, even though I think he was a first-round pick, a pretty high pick, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then after that, we've got uh, Jordan Lyles against Jacob deGrom, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 34-year-old right-handed pitcher out of Stetson University. deGrom's numbers this year, 5.59 ERA. That's pretty high but just a 1.03 whip and generally consensus that he has maybe outside of Sh- Shohei Otani, the best stuff in major league baseball. Would you disagree with that? 
Uh, I don't know. It's, it's so hard to sort of quantify that stuff, but it's up there. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. He throws a fastball in the upper 90s, can touch 100, a slider, a changeup, and a curveball that he does not throw very often. Fastball dominant. He throws it about 50% of the time because it's extremely difficult to hit. Uh, that's going to be a tough one for the Royals. Then the Royals will have Brad Keller against Nathan Eovaldi, a 33-year-old right-hander out of Texas A&M. He's got a 4.22 ERA and a 1.31 whip this year. We just saw him in that exhibition game right before the season started. Uh, he's got a fastball in the mid-90s, can get a little bit higher as well if he's, if he's really feeling it. A cutter that he throws a lot more now. A split-finger fastball, which the Royals struggled against the other day. A curveball and a slider. Okay. So far, he's relying heavily on the cutter a little bit more than he has in the past. When he first came into Major League Baseball, he was a real hard-throwing gas kind of guy. Um, he's a little bit older now, so he's he's crafting it up a little bit. But two really tough starters there at the end of that series. Yeah, the Rangers went out. They had a trouble. They had trouble last year, and they just went out. They're taking the approach that it's like it's better to buy a championship team than build one. And so they're like. They signed Ivaldi this offseason. They signed DeGrom this offseason. They're into signing big-name guys uh, in free agency, and that's what they've done to construct this team a lot. Hopefully DeGrom or Ivaldi is having an off day, or hopefully both of them are having an off day when they face the Royals uh, come uh, this next series. After the um, Texas Rangers and, and getting to face those two excellent starters, things won't get any easier. The Royals will come home to play the Atlanta Braves, who are 6-3 and three, uh, and leading the NL East at the time, or right now at early in the season. Um, they are fifth in team ERA right now on the back of some ta- talented young starters, guys like Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, Max Freed, though he's hurt right now. A uh, lot of good young pitching talent on this Braves team. Young pitching talent. This this Braves team is really well set up for the future. Um, they're uh, Hitting-wise, they're ninth in team OPS with a 778 on the back of guys like Ronald Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, and Matt Olson. They're all having good years so far at the plate. This is one of your model franchises in Major League Baseball. They have locked up a lot of young talent. They are going to be good for quite a while. Let's hope the Royals can uh, grab a few wins here at home while they're in town because to grab a series against the Braves would be something pretty special for the Royals. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just About Outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike and I's (laughs) entries for this week are very similar. Mike didn't realize it because I put what uh, the Frank experience, which doesn't sound dog related, but is dog related. Mike, tell us what's interesting to you outside the world of baseball this week. I actually knew what you were talking about because you explained the the Frank story to me. uh, Oh, you remembered. Yeah. And so, but I was like struggling to come up with something for just about side. I had a couple of things and I thought, you know what? This is the thing I'm, I'm thinking about right now. So I'm just going to talk about it and it'll segue nicely to your thing. Dogs off leashes. Okay. I love dogs. I do. I have a dog. Um, I walk my dog very regularly because my neighborhood is extremely walkable. There's sidewalks everywhere. There's a park, not that far from me. So the other day, middle of the, this past week ish sometime, I was walking my dog and I go down to the park and about 200 yards away from me, there's this lady and she's got two dogs, neither one of them on leashes. This is a public park. Anybody can be there. Okay. There is a law in the town that I live in that says you have to have your dogs on a leash. She does not have her dogs on a leash. One of them is a German shepherd, full grown. One of them is a yellow, a full grown yellow lab. So these are big dogs. They come sprinting towards me and my dog. Now, I'm a dog lover. This doesn't bother me that much. I keep it cool. 
But if I wasn't that, would I freak out? What if I was a 90 pound old lady, right? You know, keep your dog on a leash. There are off, there's an off leash dog park, not five minutes from my house <laughs> and, and that these people could go to. So then next day, walking through my neighborhood, huge dog just comes running up to us because the owner thinks I'm going to take my dog outside and it's smart enough to just hang around me no matter what exterior stimuli there is out there. Wrong. You're wrong. You're dumb. Put your dog on a leash. You're wrong. You're always wrong. Because you don't know what my dog's going to do on a leash when they see your dog not on a leash. And then you're going to get pissed that my dog attacks your dog or whatever when it's your fault for not putting your dog on a leash. If you want them off a leash, there are lots of places you can take them to do that. Okay? Don't do it in town. All right? It's that simple. Yes. I You, you will never hear bigger praises than me for that. I, that is a big thing for me too. I was at Loose Park the other day uh, and it was packed because it was one of the first nice days of the year, completely packed everywhere. There were cars driving, Loose Park's in the middle of the city, driving all around Loose Park and everything. You couldn't find a place to park. It was very crowded. I'm walking right near the edge of it, right near the street. And these two dogs are walking in front of their owners. They have leashes on, but the owners aren't holding them. And so they're just letting their dogs walk right next to this very busy street with no one controlling them. If they go out into that street, they're both dead, right? And so it's like, how much do you care about your dog if you're letting them like risk their lives? Just why? Because you're too lazy to hold on to their leash? They weren't even like out playing. They were just like, we're just going to let them walk because we are so confident in, in, in our ability as dog owners and trainers we think we're the dog whisperer or something. We This dog knows it's basically a human. No, it's not. It is an animal that will accidentally kill itself. Okay? That's how dumb this dog is. And so don't, don't get me started on this sort of stuff. It drives me nuts. But anyway, and this is coming from a professional dog walker, FYI. I am a professional dog walker. I know this sort of stuff. He's not um, lying. I'm, talk about he does. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Professional. Um. Anyway, I'm talking about another dog-related experience. The other day, I'm driving home from the grocery store with my partner, and we see a dog. On, it has a harness on, but no leash, walking on the side of the road. Okay? So this dog is just walking on the side of, the, of a busy street, right? And it clearly has no owner. There's no owner around it or anything. And so we're like, oh, no. You know, it, it's a dog that got away from its owner or they got out or something. So we pull over. We grab this dog. My, my partner is like a huge animal lover. Picks up stray dogs, finds their owners. She's a saint. But anyway, I want to tell you about the experience of it. If you don't know, and this is like a PSA, if you don't know what to do when you get a, find a stray dog, right? If they have a chip, you can get that chip scanned at any like PetSmart or anything like that. Okay. If they have an animal hospital there, they'll have one of those chip readers. So we look around trying to find a vet that's open on a Saturday. There weren't any. I thought, oh, we'll try PetSmart. PetSmart had one. Go there scan the dog, get the chip, get the person's phone number. Eventually that took a while, a little bit, a little while we go take, uh, um, they give us an address for this person too. We take her to her house. We give this person's dog back. And this person is like, eh, thanks. And walks back into the house. And she's like, oh, I'm busy preparing for Easter. And I'm like, you didn't notice that your dog was busy. You didn't go looking for your dog. What kind of dog owner are you? <laughs> like this, it just, I just blew my mind that somebody was so nonchalant about the notion that like your dog got out. Like this was the cutest little dog. It's like a puppy. It was a puppy. And and it got and it they just like let it get out of the house and didn't even like notice that it had gotten out. And I'm like, oh man, this is what scares me about the world, right? Like 
just the negligence, the negligence. Anyway, <laughs> hopefully the Royals won't be negligent when they go to Texas and take three from the Rangers. Hopefully they're ready to, to win some baseball games. We're going to be back next week talking again about the Royals, about their 6-0 and week that they're going to have this week. Until then, be good to each other and go Royals. <laughs>